Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no question a lot is at stake in this year's election at all levels of government. We here at the Topeka Capital Journal are doing our part to share the perspectives of those running for elected positions in Kansas. My name is India Yarbrough, and I'm a reporter for the Capital Journal. Over the next few weeks, leading up to the November 3rd general election, our reporters will be interviewing candidates running for local, state, and national offices. We'll be asking them questions about their platforms and priorities and having conversations about what this year's election means to Kansans. We hope you enjoy listening to our Election 2020 podcast series. I'm here today with Joshua Luttrell, who's running against incumbent Mike Kage in the race for Shawnee County District Attorney. Luttrell, a Democrat, has told the Capitol Journal previously that if elected, he would focus on reducing mass incarceration, reducing recidivism, and reducing costs. A couple of his priorities include changing the way the county does cash bail and funneling more money into victim services. Joshua, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. And yeah, thank you. And thank the Capitol Journal for giving me the opportunity to uh, just uh, share with you guys, share my platform, and uh, who I am. Absolutely. Um, to, to start off, could you explain why you decided to run for Shawnee County DA? Well, um, I decided to run for Shawnee County DA. I've been a, an attorney for uh, almost 12 years, and you know I'd been working heavily in the district or the Shawnee County District Court um, as a criminal defense attorney. So I was there pretty much every day of the week, and uh, day in and day out. And you know I've known for a long time that our criminal justice system has problems; it has issues. And I was hopeful that uh, Kage, when he got elected, that he would be uh, a more progressive district attorney and, and address those. But over the last four years, um, I, I haven't seen that. I've been dissatisfied with some of the policies uh, and how they uh, you know, operate over there and decided that um, I, I needed to do something about it. And I was in a position in my life to do it, and I'm passionate about those issues. And uh, the more I um, looked into it and the more I talked about it, uh, the more excited I got, uh, the more I understood how much uh, opportunity there was to, to fix our criminal justice system. Gotcha. Um, and, and you mentioned on your campaign website that you have friends and family who have been victims of violent crime. Um, and of course, you said previously that putting a greater emphasis on victim services would uh, be one of your goals. Could you explain how your firsthand experience with the criminal justice system has shaped your desire to enhance services for victims and what kind of changes to victim services you would hope to make? Sure. Well, um, you know, my first experience with with death uh, of another individual was the murder of Sheree Watson. I think I was 17 and she just turned 18. And, um, you know, that was that was devastating um, to have and know somebody that that young and and to lose their life like that. Uh, later on, when I was 20, my friend Brian Gwaltney was murdered. And um, he was a very special person to me and a lot of friends. And that, you know, that fundamentally changed um, who I was as well and, and how, I, um, how I view our approach to um, criminal justice and, and treating each other and, and living life. 
Um, and, and more recently, my wife's niece, Lily Coates, was a little girl that was murdered in, in Highcrest. And my experience with the criminal justice system through those events was not a bad one. You know, <clears throat> I think it was just today I saw somebody had made a, um, an image uh, purportedly from me. It has my, my name on it and listing uh, some things that I'm supposedly for. And one of it was for defunding the police, which is uh, just kind of a broad term. And I think without any context, it doesn't really mean much. Uh, I mean, it can mean lots of different things. But, you know, I can assure people that, um, you know, I am absolutely thankful for, you know, the work that the police did and, and, and saw because all the three of those uh, murders were solved. And that was done by police. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for that work and, and also for Lily uh, Coates. They, they, um, all three of those cases were also prosecuted and the person was convicted. Um, and so, you know, my, my thanks to Brett Watson for, for securing the, you know, that uh, conviction for um, in Lily's case. But when it comes to victim services, um, really I've seen as a, a defense attorney and working just in that courthouse and meeting with people, especially through this campaign, who've come to me and said, you know, cases got dropped or, um, you know, I didn't feel like, you know, I was being looked out for. And we don't want that. You know, we, do, we want people to feel comfortable and confident in their district attorney's office that um, they will be taken care of and that they're supported. I, I think we need more um, focus on, on victim services, but I also want to go out and, and move past just uh, victim services inside the district attorney's office. Um, there's a lot of people that are, you know, victims of domestic violence and, um, you know, other types of violent crime who have financial issues or, um, you know, housing instability and things like that. And it may be a direct result of that crime, and, or maybe not, but um, I think that the Victim Services Office or, or that function of that office can help people inside the district attorney's office, um, but also on, on the outside so that they are um, uh, fully supported. When they're fully supported, they are going to um, be more comfortable uh, testifying in difficult cases. Um, you know, I think we're going to have less dropped cases where people are afraid that if they testify that um, somebody's going to come back. But also, you know, in domestic violence cases, you know, a lot of the reason that somebody might not want to prosecute or, or continue with the prosecution is because they have instability in their life and their abuser can provide that. And we want to make sure that they're not being forced to decide between the two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, another thing you address on your website is a DUI that you were charged with a few years ago. You say it was a humbling and transformative moment for you, uh, and because of it, you participated in a diversion program, and you've indicated that you actually stopped drinking since then. Um, could you talk about what you've taken away from that experience and how it has influenced your view of diversion programs? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, like I said on, on my website, and I've been upfront from the beginning um, about the, the existence of that DUI, and it, it was humbling, and it's an embarrassing um, experience. You know, that night, we had gone, or I'd gone to Kansas City. I'm a musician, so I'd gone to um, play a show in Kansas City, and we had made all the right plans that you're supposed to, to um, go and, and drink and, and not be a danger to anybody else. You know, we had gotten a hotel room, and we had, you know, discussed getting an Uber, um, done all those things. And so um, at the show, I drank. And during the night, um, some some 
plans between my bandmate <clears throat> uh, fell apart and he ended up leaving early. And, um, you know, with alcohol, you, I mean, that's the danger of it. You, you make bad decisions. And so rather than following through with the plans I had made, I, I, did, I made the choice to go home. And um, thankfully, I got pulled over and thankfully, uh, no one was hurt. And um, it, it was, it was a wake up call. You know, the idea that it, even if you are best laid plans, if I can't, if I can't follow through with them, then in, in those circumstances, then I can't drink. And so I quit. Um, you know, the diversion and is a great uh, mechanism for allowing people to use the resources in our criminal justice system to address, you know, this, the mistake you know, they made. Uh, people are not measured by those mistakes. I think they're measured by what they do to address them. And uh, so I did the diversion, and um, I quit drinking. I attended uh, SMART because I thought um, I thought it'd be good to to see what other um, options there were for for you know recovery and things like that. Uh, it's a great program. Lawrence has one of the uh, just an amazing amazing program there. Um, and there's ones in Topeka. And so really just using all the tools that are available uh, to make sure that that never happens again. Um, and I think that's what we want our justice system to focus on. Uh, we want to give people support and guidance and um, opportunity to not just, you know, move past, you know, the uh, mistake they made, but to hopefully come out like a better a wiser uh, person, and mm-hmm. I, I like to think that I have. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly it's um, you know definitely a mark on my record. Um, you know, when people really go after me, I just remind them George Bush had a DUI, and <laughs> uh, so did Dick Cheney. Um, I'm not sure that's a great comparison, but um, you know, people people make mistakes, and and uh, it's important to learn from them. Okay. Um, and you've said previously that, and this kind of ties into diversion programs because they're often used um, for drug offenses and, and that sort of thing. Uh, you've said previously that you don't have an interest in prosecuting some misdemeanor drug offenses, in particular uh, cases involving possession of marijuana. Could you explain why that is? So I think in a way we, we, we have a de facto decriminalization of small amounts of marijuana. Um, you know, there are a lot of police officers and they find it, they'll just throw it away. Um, and when somebody gets in the system for it, it uh, most of the time they are paying fines and fees. And, um, you know, if our goal is to have a criminal justice system that is uh, working for the interests of our community, having people continuously run through the system when all they're doing is, is paying fines, but now they have, you know, a, a mark on their record, which can keep them from getting jobs and things like that. Um, we're, we're not really uh, accomplishing anything there. Um, we're, we're making the result that much more difficult um, by, by, by using, um, you know, the prosecution to, to bring people into the system. And so, you know, if, if we're just trying to, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we're trying to get money out of these people, but... Um, it's people aren't going to prison for it, and I don't see it as a an effective way of, of spending our, our resources. Now, certainly marijuana is illegal in Kansas, and so police officers can still pull people over, and they can use that for probable cause for all sorts of other 
types of things. And, um, you know, that's, that's a tool that the police can use um, while it's illegal in, in Kansas. But when it comes to trying to, um, try, try, you know, bring, bring people into, into the criminal justice system because they had some marijuana, you know, use small amounts of marijuana on them, I just don't have any interest. Gotcha. Um, well, and you've said that reforming the way Shawnee County does cash bail, of course, is another one of your uh, primary goals. What changes would you seek to make in that area, and how would you make those changes, um, and, and why is it such an important part of your campaign? Um, yeah, let me, can I put something out there? Sure. Uh, we, I do have a virtual town hall, and so you'd ask me about the marijuana question. I have one this, this Sunday with um, uh, Law Enforcement Action Partnership, and so we have people... Um, coming for that virtual town hall that we'll be discussing um, drug policy reform. Uh, one of them is, um, you know, an assistant attorney general in Colorado. Um, you know, the other guest is, is somebody that was an assistant district attorney in Kansas. And so um, if people are interested in that issue and that topic and sort of a discussion about how we um, address that, you know, check that out because that, that it'll be informative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, uh, reforming cash bail is really important. You know, people can go online and they can see the the multitude of studies um, and the uh, movement all over the country for for fixing cash bail. Now, I can't get rid of cash bail; that's that's not within my control. But we can make it um, fair and effective. The goal is to make sure that nonviolent offenders who um, would otherwise be out in the public doing what they need to do um, don't sit in jail unnecessarily long because they can't afford their bail. Bail has really two goals, and that's to protect our community and to make sure that somebody you know shows up for court. The, the problem that we have now is that um, you know we have a cash bail. Uh, system and industry where somebody you know gets picked up for a low-level crime, they get a, you know a, maybe a cash bail amount of you know fifteen hundred dollars or, or um, you know twenty-five hundred dollars, and sometimes they're broke and so their family has to go scramble to get the money. Um, you know by that time they've been sitting in jail for maybe three weeks and have you know lost their job or or missed rent, and by the time they get out, they you know whatever support they did have for taking care of themselves or, or their family has, has been um, depleted. And so we want to make sure that our system isn't uh, putting roadblocks in front of people uh, to be successful. People are still going to be held on bail if they pose a danger to our community. And, um, but at, at how it is now, once that, once that money is finally got together, you know, they go to a bonds person, they pay that, pay that bonds person, and, you know, the idea is that the bonds person is supposed to, you know, have some skin in the game, and that they're going to be the ones that track down that person if they go missing. But it's been my experience um, that that's not what happens, um, that somebody goes missing, and then they're on, you know, they're gone for a month, and then the police pick them up, and then they get a little higher bond, and they sit there for another you know, 30 days and they bond out again and they go or go to a bonds person and, and, you know, rinse and repeat. And, um, you know, that money shouldn't, it's just going to people who are not doing their job. And so those bonds people, and I've talked to a number of them, the ones that, um, you know, know that there's a problem that do their job, they're going to be fine. 
you know, that there will always be bonds and there's there are people that go to them. Uh, but the ones that don't have to do anything are probably going to have, you know, some trouble staying in business. Um, those are, when I first uh, was running, those are, those who were who I got attacked the most by is a lot of bonds people came on my Facebook and said, you know, this isn't uh, right. And it's like, well, you know, here's the evidence, here's the data. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's different ways to do it, but you know, always the goal is uh, you know public safety, and I think part of public safety is making sure that we don't keep people from. Uh, being successful uh, while they're going through the criminal justice system. Okay. Um, well, and of course, that you, you mentioned just now that uh, those who commit violent crimes would still, um, you know, experience bail. Um, but in kind of switching over to that gu- violent crime aspect, uh, gun violence and violent crime have been prominent topics in Topeka and Shawnee County um, in recent years. On October 5th, the Topeka Police Department reported that it is investigating its 22nd homicide of the year. Uh, We've already surpassed the number of homicides reported in 2019 or 2018. We haven't quite reached the record of 30 homicides that was reported in 2017. Given those numbers, what would you do as district attorney to address violent crime locally? So, the thing about criminal justice and criminal justice reform, um, and I think it's, you know, especially for people looking at DA races, is there are no simple answers. But I, I, I do have uh, quite a few good ones. But the, the one that you asked is it requires <clears throat> a lot of different things in order to address uh, violent crime in the community. Mm-hmm. And it has to be addressed in, from the top, from the bottom, from legislators, from community members. Um, so... You know, one thing I can say is that I will be working heavily with the community to advocate for the things and partner with uh, other groups to advocate for the things that do affect crime, you know, the mental health, um, poverty, those kind of things. Um, I want to have a proactive district attorney's office that has a wonderful relationship with the community and a wonderful re- relationship with law enforcement. And so the community uh, can trust that the office has their best interests. Um, because really addressing violent crime is is something that the community has to do together. Uh, you cannot prosecute your way out of, out of um, the problem. <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm a numbers guy, and in 2017, we had, you know, 30 murders, and I was looking at comparable cities and other crime rates, and at the same time, Lincoln, Nebraska, which is nearly three times, well, maybe, I think there's 300,000, around 300,000 people, um, they had zero murders that year, and certainly that that was a fluke. But if you look at at you know in general their crime rate, um, their their murder rate is substantially low, and ours is is really high. And so we have to you know get together and and kind of look at what is driving um, certainly the murders, because not all crime is is the same. I mean, it's not that um, everything drives the same. Um, types of crime. You know, I, I commend uh, District Attorney Kage for being involved in SAVE. I mean, it's something that um, I'm glad that uh, they came to him and had him involved. I mean, obviously, that a district attorney is going to be naturally, he's going to needs to be involved in SAVE. Uh, it's work that um, I'm, I look forward to continuing as, as district attorney. Um, additionally, being able to focus resources um, at the district attorney's office on, on violent crime when we're not focusing on, um, you know, cases that shouldn't get brought to, brought there in the first place, making sure the ADAs are not wasting their time on, on cases that shouldn't be there and, or, and have the, the resources to focus on those violent crime cases. Um, but, you know, 
having um, a more robust data collection is really big to me. I think that um, in order to understand what's going on, uh, you have to be able to have a good uh, data collection mechanism. And so I'd be working on building um, data collection and sharing with, you know, the local law enforcement, both statistically and qualitative. That is um, where, you know, we can share with them when when we get a, a number of cases that have all come together. Um, and we can see that maybe there are individuals who are um, ramping up certain behavior and things like that. We can reach out to them. Um, on top of that, sorry, have to take a drink here. <laughs> no problem. So on top of that, um, we have to you know, do things like getting guns off the streets. Um, we have to do things like making sure that um, victims um, are uh, of of violence are comfortable coming in to the DA's office, but also that the people that let me see how to say this. There are a lot of uh, times that people that are victims of violence are, are individuals that have also been prosecuted by the district attorney's office. And we need to make sure that we treat them with the you know, humanity um, that, that means that when they are victims, they still feel comfortable reporting and they don't feel like they have been um, you know, taken advantage of or exploited by um, our system. And it's a huge thing I mean, for domestic violence and, and lots, lots of other issues. So it's really important that um, you know, the people that are you know, uh, defendants today are, are going to be victims next week, and we need to make sure that um, they feel comfortable coming in. Uh, you know, I, I could kind of go on. There's so many things that, that connect, and, and that's why it's difficult um, to put these into sound bites because they all play into each other from, from poverty to mental health to victim services to um, how people view the district attorney's office to how effectively the district attorney's office is working um, to data, you know, data sharing, all those things. So um, it, it's something that is really important to me. I live in Topeka. Um, every decision that I ha- you know, make affects me and my children and family. You know, I don't live in some you know, other place where, you know, I'm, where it's an experiment that I'm unaffected by, you know, all the policies I, I propose are evidence-based and data-based or data, based, excuse me, date based on data and research. And certainly people go to my website or contact me and if they want to, to, to see the, the research. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I want to ask you about one of your opponent's strategies here too, when it comes to addressing violent crime. Um, he has told the Capitol Journal previously that um, he c- plans to continue lobbying the legislature to increase the penalty for felons in possession of a firearm. Um, he sees that as a way to deter violent crime um, and getting, you know, to get guns off the street. Uh, do you think increasing the penalty in that area is an effective strategy? The honest answer is I don't know. <clears throat> um, so when we talk about punishment, we ultimately have like three kind of goals. There's you know, re- rehabilitation, which would be my focus. It doesn't work in every situation. And then you have removal. Uh, that's where you, that somebody is, is behaving in a way that 
causes us to to believe that they have to be taken out of the public and and kept away from us and then and then retribution which is us just wanting to uh, make somebody hurt because they've they've hurt us i think the third is the the worst way to go about um justice and the second is an important part of it and so when we talk about increasing penalties for felons with handguns it means that um, you have them taken off the street, and that and absolutely can be an effective way of reducing, um, you know, violence. I don't believe it's a deterrent, though. I think that the evidence shows uh, pretty pretty convincingly that um, prison sentences are not a um, an indicator of whether or not somebody is, is choosing to commit or not commit a crime. Uh, whether or not they get caught is, but people do not sit down with the Kansas Sentencing Guidelines grid figure out where they are on it and figure out what level of felony it is and then decide to go make a crime. I understand that's, you know, it's kind of a flippant way of, of putting it. Uh, we do know that, you know, more serious crimes get you get you more time. But even saying that, we, you know, studies continue to show that that is not a deterrent. People don't decide to commit crimes based upon what the potential um, punishment is. But keeping people um, and dangerous people out of the community um, is, can be an effective way. And so, um, you know, I'm not opposed to increasing penalties for felons with, with guns. Um, you know, there are so many crimes that, that occur in our community um, because of people's cavalier attitudes towards gun and a disregard for other people's lives. Um, you know, my family and, and friends who have been murdered by, by guns. These people have been in the system before as well. There is, um, there's a balance in there too. And finding that I think is difficult. There are people and clients that I've had before who, um, carry guns because they're fearful, um, for their life. It's not an excuse for, for that behavior, but um, it's a reality that exists, and we need to find a way to to, to address that portion as well. Um, but no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't oppose the idea of, of increased uh, penalties and make sure that um, felons with with handguns uh, um, can maybe removed. You know, if it's interesting, I, I think this came up. I did a, a talk just the other night, and you know, the feds will pick up people for felon and handgun and and their um consequences are a lot more severe than they are in kansas and i don't know exactly what it is that they use to determine if they're you know if it's going to go federal or not but you know if you have somebody here um it may be probation but if the feds pick it up they may do five years mm-hmm. but you know i i'm i'm hard on anybody that is carrying a gun you know if it's involved in crime and if they are uh, potentially dangerous, then we need to make sure that, um, that they're not going to be around to, to, to cause crime. Okay. Um, and, of course, you have been considered part of the, quote-unquote, progressive DA movement um, and continue to advocate for criminal justice reform. And a lot of the stuff you've talked about here today touches on that. Um, why do you think reform is needed uh, especially as it relates to the DA's office, and how does your idea of reform tie into several of the policies that you have discussed? Well, I guess um, you know if anybody's listening, if you think it's working, if you think our criminal justice system is working, 
um, don't vote for me. I mean, if you, if you like how it's going, you know, I'm not your guy. But we have been studying these issues for a really, really long time. And it's not like it just, you know, in the past couple years, we've, you know, realized that we have a problem. Um, but I think it's just in the, you know, past few years that um, people are recognizing that um, fixing the problem isn't just going to kind of happen um, in, in a slow way. People are opposed to change, and I think people are also opposed and have difficulty recognizing when they've made mistakes and with when the the direction they're going um, has caused trouble. I think that's one of the reasons that you know marijuana is still illegal in Kansas. I think um, it's hard for individuals to um, stand up and say, you know, I've been putting people in prison, you know, for the last twenty years. Uh, we shouldn't have been doing that, and I'm, you know, I'm responsible for it. And the same thing goes for, you know, how our DA's office uh, operates. You know, uh, KGA's been running this um, grand jury, you know, mass indictment type of thing. And, um, you know, I think it's abhorrent. I think it doesn't work. There's, I've never not seen a bit of evidence from him, no data, uh, that it is saving money. In fact, they have to spend money to do it. And, um, you know, they used to do a lot more of the cases through the grand jury, um, but they've been going back to preliminary hearings for a lot of cases. And, you know, my challenge is if, if the justice that somebody gets in the grand jury is the same as the one they get at preliminary hearing, why would you ever do them differently? I mean, if it's equal, why do it? You know, why, why have both? Um, and I submit the reason is it's not equal and that some people are getting a different, uh, experience over there. Um, and that's, that's not okay. Um, it needs to be fair and equal to everybody. And so when it comes to criminal justice reform, you know, for me, would you know that we know how to do it better? Um, that it isn't just us, you know, experimenting, say, you know, what if we try this? What if we try that? When we've collected the data, when we've done the research, when people have tried it, uh, and we know there's a better way, then we need to, we need to work towards that. And because criminal justice is so intertwined with all sorts of things, you can't do it piecemeal. You need to be able to walk in there and, and change as, as much as you can that affects the other piece. Um, because you're not going to get this, you know, you're not going to get the results that you want if you're just doing one part of the puzzle. You got to do it all. And it's a lot of work. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to doing that. You know, progressive DAs, I mean, it's called progressive DA, but it, it's, it's just common sense. I mean, if you, you know, I don't know if there's anything progressive about saying, hey, you know, how do we do this better? And somebody does a study and, you know, they test it and they say, all right, this works. I mean, that's, I, it's progress, but to me, it's just should be part of every, every district attorney's approach to, to justice. Uh, but, I mean, there's so much data out there. And, you know, Kansas is continuing to um, do these studies. I mean, you can go on my, on my, my website and see the, the, the studies they're doing about cash bail reform and the studies they're doing about ending mass incarceration. This is our legislators. This is our state recognizing that that's an issue. Um, so it's not like I'm just, you know, coming up and saying, hey, I can know how to do it better. Uh, people recognize there's a problem and people are addressing it. And I want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Um, and, and if elected, how would you really engage local law enforcement, engage community members to work toward a safer community? So, I, you know, having a great relationship with law enforcement is really important. They need to have trust in their district attorney um, and trust that the district attorney um, trusts in them. And, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, changing police policies. And, and I think that's important. It's always important to have a discussion about what we can do better and making sure that in that discussion, every voice is heard. Um, that's how we find solutions to these problems. So, I mean, I will certainly um, be working with the police to continue to work within the community to work and create, um, you know, more community organizations, more um, programs, really from, from multiple different levels. I mean, we, we want to have the police be a presence in our community that um, where they're viewed upon as, you know, peace officers that are there to help. And, you know, I want to work towards bridging any divide that's, that's you know, come along. Yeah, I've, I've um, you know, used the analogy of a marriage. And, you know, if that relationship has, has been difficult for a long time and neither, you know, there, there's no uh, progress being made towards to fixing and addressing those things, when things finally get, um, you know, really bad, uh, there's a lot of hard work in getting back to, you know, that 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 harmony, you know, that harmony that we're we're searching for. Um, but I, you mean all the, you know, all the difficulty that we're going through right now, um, that's people passionate about what's going on in their lives and their experiences, and um, it's a signal that we have to have those tough conversations. And that's fine. I mean, as a community, we should have tough conversations. But I also believe that that passion can be um, transformed and used to make a lot of really effective changes. So, you know, I've I've said that being a proactive district attorney is is central to to my campaign, and I will continue to work with every organization I know and, um, and, and try to onboard, um, you know, to different parts of the police department and come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. Well, that about wraps up our conversation today. Um, uh, do you have any other final thoughts for us? Anything else you would like the public to know? Well, um, you know, a lot of people have sort of like a, a misunderstanding of who I am and, and what my platform is. I hope this isn't kind of informative. Um, I encourage everybody to go and, and go to my website, you know, read about my issues. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people are getting inundated with, with politics and ads and other things like that. And so my challenge to other politicians is make sure that you have policies and a platform and you don't just have platitudes. You know, if you go and you listen to, to my, um, you know, to, to my discussions on my Facebook or go to my website, I mean, you'll see that I... I'm a policy-focused individual. I, I, you know, I don't know everything. Um, there's certainly things that I'm, I'm still learning, but I think I have a really solid grasp on those policies, and I'm always willing to discuss them. And so, uh, you know, if if that jives with what you want, you know, please vote for me on November 3rd. But also ask that of your other uh, elected officials. Uh, make sure that you understand what they're actually running on and, and what they represent. It's easy to paint things in a really uh, big brush. 
when you don't have the answers or solutions. And so I think voters should um, make sure that the people that they're voting for actually do have them. I'm very transparent. I'm very accessible. You can always email me, get a hold of me. I, I think I'm one of the most transparent, accessible candidates uh, in, in Shawnee County for sure. I'm answering questions from anybody. And so I encourage people to to interact with me. If you think uh, I'm the boogeyman, come talk to me and see if you uh, you know agree after we've had a conversation. But uh, lastly, I, I would like to make a statement. There have been videos and other things like that that were created accusing me of um, some pretty silly stuff. And if it were just me um, by myself running a campaign, I, you know, it's no big deal. I have thick skin. I expect that kind of behavior. But I have, I have kids. And um, there are people that are behind those, those um, the creation of those videos that know my family. Our kids have gone to, to theater together. Um, they know my wife. And so they know that what is being put out there is false. And I would encourage people during this campaign, if they've ever complained about politics or how politics is, to not participate in the worst parts of it. That I have, I, I can handle it, but if you know, people start to say those things to my kids and, and that gets out and, and they suffer for it, that's on them. And so I ask people to hold themselves and their friends, and I tell that to all my supporters. Uh, if you see somebody that is, you know, spreading lies and false information, uh, hold them accountable. And so um, that's just my two cents. Yeah, you know, politics is, is dirty, but I, I'm pretty disgusted by some of the behavior. That was Joshua Luttrell, who is running for Shawnee County District Attorney this year. Um, Joshua, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate the conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. listening to this episode. If you're looking for more, you can support local journalism by subscribing to cgonline.com, reading our articles, and following the latest news on our social media platforms. You can also find more podcasts like this one in the Apple Podcasts app, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.